We are in our series called Spiritual Boot Camp, and last week we looked at how to study the Bible, and today we're going to be talking about prayer. First, let me tell you a few things. Americans spend an average of five and a half hours a day doing what? Digital media. More than half that time spent on mobile devices. Now, by the way, anything I say henceforth, understand I'm in here with you too, all right? I mean, I have a, an iMac, iPhone, iPad, iWi-Fi kids, all right, I've got it all, all right? In one, in one recent survey, female students at Baylor University reported using their cell phones an average of 10 hours a day. In this survey, it said we check our phones 221 times a day, an average of every 4.3 minutes. And they actually think that this number may be a little bit too low since most people underestimate their mobile usage. Nearly half of 18 to 29-year-olds said they used their phones to, quote, avoid others. Hey, I'm just reading it, all right? You can do with it what you want. Still not convinced there's a problem? Microsoft surveyed 2,000 consumers and said that the average human attention span has gone down. That's probably not a surprise to anybody, but this might be. In 2000, the average attention span for humans was 12 seconds. And now people have generally a concentration rate of 8 seconds, highlighting the effects of an increasingly digitized lifestyle on the brain. Eight seconds. By the way, scientists compare that to goldfish who have a nine-second <laughs> attention span. Enter carp jokes, all right? I quote, heavy multi-screeners find it difficult to filter out irrelevant stimuli. They're more easily distracted by multiple streams of media. The report also found that 77% of those between the ages of 18 and 24 responded yes when asked this, when nothing is occupying my attention, the first thing I do is reach for my phone. Bruce Hindmarch, who is a professor of spiritual formation at Regent College in Vancouver, says this. Our unchallenged, and I want to underline unchallenged, social media habits pose one of the most pressing discipleship challenges in the church today. It's an incredible statement. Of all the things we would say that are the, the things that challenge discipleship, probably nobody would just out of the box say, uh, the digital world, our use of cell phones, but that's what this man says. And he points out some of the reasons that the nature of digital communication means we are endlessly distracted and we suffer from a spiritual ADD. In other words, thoughts about the presence of God are overcome by endless data. Hindmarsh contends that we're living with a dispersed, fragmented consciousness instead of living from a cohesive worldview. And then he mentions that we lose our filters 
with immediate access and delivery of our opinions. In other words, wisdom has given way to being heard. Humility has given way to posturing our image on social media. So what do we do? Throw our hands up and say, you know, there's nothing we can do about this? I don't think so. My hope is that we can think a little more seriously about the impact of these findings and consider how we might, as a body, live a more authentic, intimate walk with God and with one another. Could it be that the greatest challenge to our prayer life is digital media? I wonder if Jesus were in the garden before the crucifixion. If he were in the garden today, would he ask his disciples, can, can you tarry one more hour and stay off Facebook? Listen, digital technology is not an evil in itself, right? This is not some old guy talking about, well, in the old days, we didn't. this is not it at all, all right? Like I said, I've got access to it all and use it. But it's that, it's the unfiltered access that we give it. It's the, the unwitting devotion. It's not thinking about the consequences to our spiritual life. It's making it Lord. And particularly how it impacts our relationship with God and, and our prayer life. That's the part I'd like for us to, to really consider. So let's start here. Can we become the church that God desires without prayer? The answer is what? Absolutely not. Can we become the people that God desires us to be without prayer? Absolutely not. Therefore, let me posit that we have to be willing to manage our use of social media. Cut off the head of the snake if you have to. You do whatever it takes to devote ourselves to spiritual disciplines to grow into a healthy follower of Christ. Now, if we say no to something, some things in social media, we have to know what we're saying yes to, right? We're saying yes to consistent disciplines of building our relationship with God. So we covered Bible study last week, and today our topic is prayer. There's probably not any subject that more Christians feel more inept about than prayer. All I'm after today is improvement. Can we accomplish that? Improvement, all right? This is not about perfection. It's about progress. All I want is for us to just raise our batting average, all right? If you're not hitting above the Mendoza line, if you're a baseball fan, you know what that means, not hitting above 200, then you, you, you just want to raise that sum, okay? You want to raise that sum. That's all I'm asking. So let's ask God to increase our faith, to increase our capacity to pray more effectively. Can we get on board with that? Can you? 
I think we better all stand. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. I don't have a scripture to read right now, but I do have a suggestion that every one of us ask God to just help us now to pray better, to make progress. That's all I'm at. See, I think that's very doable, don't you? That's not too daunting, is it? No, no. Go before the Lord, and as sincerely as you know how, ask him to improve your prayer life. Father, you hear these prayers. Start with mine. I want it to be better. I want it to be stronger. I want to pray with bigger faith. I want you to do supernatural things through us and as a church. Do it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Nothing reveals the quality of our relationship with God better than prayer. Nothing reveals the quality of our relationship with God better than prayer. I love this quote. I've said it to you before, but I'm going to say it again. Samuel Chadwick said, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Proverbs 15.8 reminds us, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. That's another way of saying he loves this. When his children pray. The most important aspect of our prayer life is what we believe about God. The most important aspect of your prayer life is what you believe about God. That is what the Bible calls faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And later on in Hebrews it says, let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith. So what is it that we're to believe about God? We're going to keep this simple. First, we have faith that God is good and loves us. We say, well, duh. Uh, not so fast. Not so fast. Because I think all of us, if we're to be honest about our life with God, there are times where we are genuinely ticked at God that he didn't give us what we wanted. Right? So we have to believe that faith is believing that God is good and that he loves us. In fact, Paul, he asked the Thessalonians to pray for him. And then a few verses later, he says this, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. He wants them to pray, and then he says, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. So when Paul wanted prayer for himself, he wanted the love of God to overflow in the life of those prayer warriors because that's what he wanted prayer to spring from, the love of God. Paul knew that the greatest motivator is not shame. 
And all of us have experienced plenty of shame. And some of it comes from the pulpit about prayer. Right? We've all heard sermons about prayer. We all walk out, you know, like this. You know, I'm defeated. I can't pray. You know. And that's not a motivator. The best motivator is not understanding some script, some formula. But rather it's to have our hearts overflow with the love of God. And when we have the faith that God loves us, you know what? We joyfully want to be with him. We joyfully want to talk with him. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In other words, God delights in and loves his children, giving them, he loves to give them what they need, what is good for them. God delights in that. See, I think many Christians are stuck on this. And it's not a small deal. They think God has forgotten about them because maybe, maybe you have asked for something. Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's for a mate. Maybe it's for some money. Maybe it's to be healed. or It could be a, a variety of things, and God's been slow about it. You think he's ignored you, right? And you keep asking. And some of you have just given up. Could it be that for some, in our lackadaisical walk with God, that underneath we're really kind of harboring this slow boil this burning ember just under the surface, we have some ill will toward God. I mean, who's going to admit that, right? Nobody wants to do that, especially in a church. But I think all of us have experienced this. God didn't come through for me. Now, I know that we concentrate on the faith of being that, you know, God will do some specific consequence. I want to maybe adjust that a little bit and say, let's focus more on who God is, not so much in what he's going to do for us. And that God is good and that he loves us. I talked to a man this week whose wife left him. She's gone. And he's, he also has some debilitating pain that he's experiencing in his life or so a physical malady. But he was still saying, Kevin, I, I still know that God is good. He's been so good to me. And I'm like, that is faith. That is faith. That is what is keeping his head above water. That God still loves him and cares for him. And he's praising God for how good God... See, Here's the thing. Even if I don't get the money, even if I don't get the job, even if I don't get healed, how does that change who God is? It doesn't. God is still good. And God still loves me. But we relate our circumstance to God's feelings about us, right? Isn't that just a little narrow? 
right? Right? I mean, it doesn't work that way even in a marriage. My wife will tell me some hard truth. You think she's some sweet thing. She's a bulldog, let me tell you, all right? She will tell me what she thinks. Now, I may think, and I have thought this, she doesn't care about me. You know, because she doesn't give me immediate approval. I'm human, okay? I think that. I get, I get defensive, but isn't that narrow? And the fact is, I know it comes from a heart of nothing but love for me. And she, she's willing to risk, you know, me being a baby in order to tell me the truth. Right? I, I don't think it's much different with God. Is that he might allow some pain. He might allow some things because he knows what's best for us and he still loves us. Let us not relate every circumstance to, you know, how God feels about us, right? Or, man, we're going to be on this roller coaster of emotions about God. The fact is, he, he relishes in you as his child. It's like a, it's like a newborn he has, a, a picture in his wallet. Have you seen this? That's God's feeling towards you. He delights in you. In fact, he delights in you so much, he wants, he, he wants you to operate in faith and to know that the Holy Spirit is there with you to empower you and to remind you of God's presence so that we can cry out, as Romans said, Abba, Father. That's a, that's a term of intimacy with God. God delights in your prayers, not because you use perfect theological phrasing, but because he loves to commune with his children, right? Let us believe in him enough to help us in the little things and have faith for him to do great things. I think some of us that grew up in certain backgrounds within Christianity qualify faith so much, qualify prayer so much with these thousand qualifications that it makes prayer useless. May God ever keep me from doing that. I want to believe God to do things that only God can do. And I would rather fail at asking God to do big things and, and attempting the impossible than resting on what I can do on my own, that I could just manage my own circumstances over here. I'd rather fail at asking him big things. This we know for sure. God will not answer 100% of the prayers that are not asked. But when I'm convinced that he loves me, I'm going to have the audacity to ask him for even the big things. So we have faith that God is good and that he loves us. Secondly, we have faith that God can do what he wills. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Listen, prayer is not a tool to sanctify existing behavior. Prayer is the means for our hearts and lives 
to come under the authority and the will of God. And, and that's the way I pray for others as well, because I know that's what's best for them. In fact, we're instructed in Ephesians 6.18 to pray in the Spirit. Now, you know, depending on what your background, you may think all kinds of things of what that means. But I don't think it's too complicated. We pray according to how the Spirit prompts us, which is always within the will of God. It's the same as praying in God's will or even in Jesus' name. When we pray at the end of Jesus' name, it's not like saying abacadabra at the end of some magic formula. It's, it's, it's acknowledging that I'm praying consistent with who he is, that this is what he wants. When the disciples asked Jesus to help them pray, one of the things he said was, thy kingdom come, and what was the next? Thy will be done. By his kingdom coming, it means that we are desirous of God's rule to be manifested in our lives and in the lives of others. In other words, we seek to live under his authority. We allow him to call the shots in our lives. And we want others to learn what it means to live in the abundance of his will. You know, it's not uncommon for me to be talking to God about something, maybe an issue, maybe dealing with a conflict, and as I'm talking to God about it, he reveals something in my own heart that needs to be adjusted or something in my behavior, an attitude. I think that's a part of thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And when I pray about a circumstance, unless God has given me some kind of revelation about what I see the future being, I can't say for certain, maybe some can pray this way. I'm just letting you know how I, how, what my experience is like. I can't pray for certain when I pray for someone to get a job that they're going to get the job or that they're going to get healed. I know some of you immediately think, well, that's not faith. Well, you just hold on a second. Or, or, or maybe that they find, you know, something that they lost but I don't have to worry about it either because I know that God is going to do what's best and that I can rest in the sovereign work of God. When I pray, I'm once again aligning my heart with his sovereignty. I will ask God to heal. I will ask God to do specific things, but I trust him to do what is best ultimately. You say, but, but won't God, you know, do it whether we pray or not? Well, here's what James 4 says about that. You do not have because you do not ask. I don't think you even have to know Greek to understand that. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly and spend it on your own passions. Somehow, God delights in our requests and responds to our requests. And he listens and moves according to his will. See, when I pray, I get to see what happens when God moves. And when I don't pray, my heart is not aligned and I miss God working. Listen, there is not a, a, a correct position to pray. There's not, you know, approved theological language 
There's not certain dress you have to have when praying. God responds to our hearts when we pray in faith and in conjunction to his will. But there also has to be a sincerity and authenticity when we, when we say these prayers. I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11. And it says, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. What does that mean? That means Satan is trying to outwit us. Well, how does he do that? He lies to us, and he uses unforgiveness to do some of his best work. In other words, you can't go around with unforgiveness in your heart and then pray and act like you and God are all cozy and having just, you know, a great time together. See, when I forgive, I am not defining the other person by that offense against me. I am choosing not to retaliate. I can acknowledge the hurt but I can look to God for healing. I'm not waiting for the other person to say, I'm sorry, before I forgive. Reconciliation takes two people. Forgiveness takes one, you. Forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. We rarely feel like forgiving. And forgiveness is not forgetting. but choosing to forgive every time that offense comes to our mind. It could be why many people don't want to pray to God. Here's how I'm connecting this. Because they haven't forgiven somebody in their life. Maybe it's even God. See, prayer is an invitation for sweet communion with God. And it positions our hearts to Enjoy that communion. So the prospect of close fellowship with God is, it's too revealing. It's threatening. Guys, have you ever been ticked at your wife and she asks you to pray? It's like, I don't want to pray. <laughs> right? Right? The last thing you want to do. But it's the best thing to do. Right? It's an invitation for sweet communion. The, the, the prospect of close fellowship with God is what prayer invites. It's, see, with sincerity, there's, there's a consistency. It's kind of like, you know, okay, God, give me wisdom in how I can function in this relationship with my girlfriend and I'm sleeping with her. Like, dude, just shut up about praying to God for wisdom when you're sleeping with her. Just quit that and then you can get on to the praying, Right? Or help me, God, and how I can handle my finances. And you're cheating on your taxes. You're in debt up to your earlobes. You don't give a cent to God. And really, you're praying for guidance? God has already given you guidance. So quit walking in disobedience and show a sincerity of heart. And then maybe God will give you a little bit of wisdom, right? I mean, there's a, there's a sincerity. It's like me telling my wife, I love you, and then calling her name right after that. So there's a, there's a sincerity that has to go along with this. Prayer is more about aligning our hearts 
with God than trying to get God to do something for us. Here are some practical suggestions, and I know I'm running out of time, so here, real quick. Now, first of all, there's not one sanctified method in, in, in how to do this, but just, I'm trying to think of a way that just to make it um, more palatable for you and, and easier. So consider making a list of the names of people that, that you're going to pray for, uh, prayers for your family, um, you know, yourself, whatever, and then write the need down, write relevant scripture next to that that, that, that applies to that, that can give you some guidance about what the will of God is, and then you have a column for the answer. So four different columns. And use that list. I have a list just like that when I pray. Now, I make a list because I don't want to forget who to pray for. And it's an opportunity to match up the Scripture so that I know what the will of God is. And then I see how God answers. And when I keep track of that, you know what that does? That builds my faith. I see God working. It's like, whoa, God, look at what you've done here. This is really cool. And then I'm, I'm even more bold than when I pray, right? So take time to read back also scripture to God and, and praise him during this time and truly worship him. Listen, if we're completely honest with ourselves about how we feel about God, sometimes there's profound disappointment and there's even anger that he just doesn't care all that much. Now, I know that's not the answer you're going to give in public, but in the quietness of your own heart, if we're honest, many times we go through seasons like this. The psalmist used the love of God to motivate him to worship. This is what he said. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. So let me suggest that if you haven't been motivated at all in your relationship with God, check your heart for unforgiveness toward others or about God and begin to pour over the truth of how God really feels about you, like Psalm 48.9. Or how about Zephaniah 3.17? The Lord your God is in my midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over me with gladness. He will quiet me by his love. He will exult over me with loud singing. Or 1 John 3.1. See what kind of love the Father has given to me that I should be called a child of God, and so I am. Or Psalm 117, too. For great is his steadfast love toward me, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take this next verse, the next one. Let's see the next slide. I want you to say this to the person next to you putting their name. If you don't know who the person is, find out their name, all right? And then say, the Lord appeared to Joe from far away. God said, I have loved Joe with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to Joe. Say that to one another right now. Go for it. From here, that just sounded like everybody was speaking in tongues. That was amazing, all right? <laughs> now, insert me and say it aloud. The Lord appeared to me from far away. God said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I've continued my faithfulness to you. Yeah.
See, after recounting how God feels about you and truly having our hearts resonate with that, that's the kind of faith that begins to boil up in our hearts. And we're like, okay, God, now I'm ready. Now I'm ready to ask you. Now I'm ready to talk to you. That's the best kind of prayer there is. Bow your heads. Go before the Lord and tell him what's on your heart. Speak to him. Honestly, authentically. He loves to hear.